0: Good morning. How's everybody doing? All right. Uh, We're going to dive right in and we're going to pick up where we left off. If you have not been with us before uh, this Sunday or it's been a bit, I encourage you to go to our website and hear where we've been as we've been uh, preaching through this incredible book in the New Testament, uh, the epistle of James. And we're going to begin in chapter 5, verse 1 to 6. It says this, now listen, you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Pretty direct, right? Uh, By the way, if you're not rich, there's not permission to tune out. God has something for us. Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay, the workers who mow your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing you. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for this opportunity to hear your word, to bring our hearts before you and ask that you would speak to us, pierce our hearts, make us attentive to your voice. Holy Spirit, would you change us? Transform us as you reveal Jesus to us. And Father, we thank you. We come with expectation now to hear a word from you. In Jesus' name, amen. I recently heard a story. It was quite a fascinating story. It was two pastors from two different parts of the world. One was from North America and the other one was from Africa. And they were talking back and forth about the differences of their cultures because the pastor from North America spent time in Africa and the African pastor spent time in North America. So they uh, noticed things that the other would probably not naturally notice. And the uh, North American pastor told the African pastor, said, it was fascinating to me in your country how you guys would freely talk about money, about how much money you made, how much money you plan to make, how much money you made on a business deal. And he said, we don't do that in North America. However, you guys never really talked about your family life. You never talked about your marriages, your kids, your spouses. He said, why is that? The African pastor tells him, he said, interesting you say that. Because in North America, you guys would talk about everything, your feelings, your hurts, your pains, your marriages, the good, the bad, your kids, but you never talked about money. And as they both sat there quietly, the African pastor spoke up wisely and said, I guess in both cultures, we become silent about our idols. We don't want to talk about the things that are most valuable to us, that we prize. And today, James is talking about, if we're honest, about one of the core idols in the human heart, the idolatry of riches. We sing songs about getting wealthy. We write stories about getting wealthy. We dream advertisers advertise to us and pitch the idea that our lives are incomplete because we lack wealth. And actually, there are entire industries that are created around the fake portrayal of wealth. Do you know that there's, there's folks that are called influencers on uh, Instagram and such, that they appear to have a rich life and they are broke? I've met some of them. They're just, it's all a facade, they've actually done news stories. They've taken pictures in front of jets and in front of yachts, it's all fake. But people are allured by it because this idol of wealth is very deep in our hearts. And so even though James is talking to rich people specifically, and we're going to unpack why he's addressing them so straightforward, we all need to pay attention because riches, the idolatry of riches. It's pervasive, it's in every single person's heart. I, I've seen poor people that were just as much bound to the idolatry of riches, even more so than some rich people I've met. No one is exempt. This thing infects all of us, and so we're gonna be hearing some medicine from God this morning, so let's all listen up and hear what God has to say. The first thing to note is that not everything that shines is gold. Because James, look at the words that he uses associated with riches. It says, now listen, you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire say, wow, James, at first glance, you may say, James really doesn't like rich people. He must have like got a bad deal in Jerusalem one day. Somebody sold him a plot of land and now he's out. Uh, You know, he got some bad Bitcoin deal in the Middle East or something. James is really irritated against rich people. But actually what we look at, it, it's not rich people. What he's aiming at is the condition of the human heart that becomes corrupted by the obsession to be rich at all cost, no matter what. But there's another reason why James is unpacking this, and and you may or may not be aware of this, but I hope once we talk about this and I bring you to Scripture, that you actually become excited, encouraged, and actually really moved by the fact that there is a robust amount of scripture, believe it or not, in the Bible where God deals with correct business ethics. The Bible speaks about so many things, but specifically, there are so many verses that are targeted around this idea of in business dealings, you must deal correctly with people. You must be straightforward, you must have integrity. You should not enter into business deals to take advantage of people. And look at specifically when we unpack kind of this idea of the Christian business ethic that comes from the Old Testament scriptures and continues so many verses. If you're taking notes, look up Luke 10:7, 1 Timothy 5:18, Romans 4:4, 4, 4. but specifically I want to read Leviticus 19:13. Says this: You shall not oppress your neighbor or rob him. The wages of a hired worker shall not remain with you all night until the morning. So what this is talking about is this idea of withholding wages that are due to someone. God is opposed to this. So much so that he writes it into his word and brings it to people that are in business and lets them know one thing that he will not tolerate is workers being exploited have you ever had the experience of a raise being withheld to you you deserved it you worked for it it was negotiated and then they're just kind of withholding it or or you you worked a certain job description that was beyond your job description. You were working outside of your pay scale and you deserved more. And yet they withheld it from you. If you've ever experienced kind of an unjust situation, a business deal where you were taken advantage of, then you know personally why God would write this into his word. And in fact, in the old Testament, whenever God would speak many times of miseries coming upon people, a lot of times it was associated with wrong business deals. In other words, God says, if you exploit people, if you mistreat people, if you take advantage of people, misery will come upon you. I will make sure misery comes upon you. So with that in mind, we realize why James is addressing so specifically this issue. Because look at verse four. Look. The wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. So what James is talking about, he's not talking about riches in and of themselves being evil. Why I say this is because it's important to note that money is not evil, it's the love of money that is the root of all evil. That's what scripture says, because if you've ever met someone that was charitable, generous, you've seen someone use money to bring beauty and good things into the world. So money is an instrument, but money connected to a heart that's been corrupted becomes a powerful weapon for evil. And James is addressing, this issue. And he's warning the rich among the community of God about what happens if they let their hearts become corrupted by wealth. He's warning them about what is to come, the judgment that will come if they let their hearts become self-indulgent, if they take advantage and exploit workers similarly to what happens all around them by the ungodly. And what's interesting is that this isn't the first time that James is talking to the rich in this epistle. If you remember in chapter two, he paints this picture of rich people coming into the assembly of God and them receiving preferential treatment. And now he's addressing this again, and if you remember in James two, he paints a picture that they have splendid clothes, gold rings, and they were using the court, the assembly of God's people to oppress the poor. And now James says, The splendid clothes you liked will be eaten by moths. The gold you wore will be destroyed by rust. You drag the poor into court. Now in court, your material wealth will be a witness against you with God as the judge who has no partiality. What James invites us to be mindful of is that in the court of God, no one gets away with anything. On this earth, it's painful to see people get away with abuse, and it happens a lot. We see people being exploited. I was actually in an Uber uh, a few days ago. I had to go speak at a conference, and this was the most delightful Uber drive I've ever had. This guy was from the Dominican Republic, and so we were talking in Spanish a ton. He was amazingly entertaining. He owns some farms in DR. I'm talking to him like, why are you here, man? You should be on your farm. Like, that's, that's the dream. We're going back and forth, and then he tells me the story of Uber. He says, when Uber first came out, they flooded the livery car industry with money. So, there was all these car services. How many remember having to call a car service before the app, right? My favorite in my hood was Monchito. Monchito was the best, sometimes La Mega, they they were good. And so, but those car services by and large don't exist today because what happened, Uber flooded the market and gave all these drivers a lot of money to drive with Uber. So all these drivers naturally said, oh, I'm gonna go with Uber, I make more money. And then once Uber got all these drivers to drive with them, then they began to, these businesses began to close down. And once the competition left, they began to take the wages down of the drivers and so now find an uber driver that's happy to drive for uber and and you found like a yeti on a unicorn they don't exist because they're so frustrated they know they've been hoodwinked they've been exploited and this is company after company there's examples of the poor being exploited and it happens a lot in our world but we have a faith in a just God. And we know of his justice on full display when we look at the cross, when we look at how sin will never go unpunished, even if it means the sinless son of God has to be sacrificed on behalf of ungodliness. It will not go unnoticed by God. And God is saying these corrupt things that are happening will not go unpunished, and so he's warning his people, if any among his people that are wealthy, he's warning them of the ills that are at the door if they're not careful. That they can enter into corrupt deals that exploit people. That they can become self-indulgent. But unfortunately, this isn't just a warning that applies to the rich because This is often the dream, the lust of the poor as well. If we're honest, most of us, some of the things that we're praying about, asking God for some of our problems, the majority of our problems could be solved by somebody with a big check, which lets us know that many of our dreams, many of our prayers, are materialistic in nature. If our prayers can only be answered by the living God, those are good prayers. But if most of our cravings and longings could be answered by someone with a big check, then it's probably stuff that's rooted in materialism and self-indulgence. James is warning all of us that this is a troubling thing. You know, uh, one of the things I always try to sneak in conversations with my kids, Um, you know, parents here, pro tip, when you have them in a a car, captive audience, they can't go anywhere. And so um, I'm constantly, hey, let's go for a ride. And they're like, yeah, where are we going, dad? I was like, I don't care where we're going, but I just want to talk with you. And so while we're in the car, um, I'll ask them questions. I'll try to pepper them with questions to see, just to get them to think critically about the scriptures, and so I asked him, say, hey, why do you think God in the Ten Commandments said, you should have no other idols? You should have no other gods before me. And my 9-year-old says, well, at that time, people were worshiping all these other false gods. So God would want them to not worship them. So he's letting them know, don't worship those false gods. Worship me. And my 6-year-old says, some of those gods, Michael is very <laughs> intense. Some of those gods were bad, and I was like, "What do you mean, Michael?" said. Some of those gods w- would lie; um, they they were they they were they were gods that had really bad character, and so maybe God didn't want them to worship those false gods because then they would become like those gods. I said, "Look at this insightful little theologian." I said, like, "The truth is, why God warns us of this idolatry of wealth and riches is because when it gets inside of your soul." You become like it. It's all you want. You want to feed on it. He says that you become self-indulgent. In essence, what happens is our hearts become numb. James talks about that you live for luxury. When, it get, when the idol of riches possesses you, you live for luxury. You live for self-indulgence. And this is something that our culture puts a premium on. I mean, the words that he uses, it says, your hearts become fattened. You become numb. And why that's interesting is because it describes, if you've ever wondered, how could someone do that? You remember the Enron story? That was horrific. And when you hear those stories, they're so big, they're so outlandish, and you ask, how could someone cheat that many people out of all that? Their hearts were fattened. Their hearts were numb. They no longer felt it. But that's not just for the rich, that's for all of us. And James says, this is the danger of this trajectory once your heart becomes corrupted, once it becomes desensitized to what's actually happening, you will continue on as if nothing is happening all the way to the day of judgment. You will, in essence, be on a crash course toward judgment when wealth and riches become the driving force of your life. I think this is something for us to pay attention to, especially living here in America because this is, in essence, the American dream is rooted, even though it's not sold to us that way, but it's rooted as wealth as a means of indulgence. Acquire wealth to indulge. It's never pitched as acquire wealth to serve others. Money is never pitched as acquire it in order to bless others. It's pitched as acquire it in order to feel better than others, in order to affirm your identity. Some, some people feel superior to others simply because they have money in their bank. And some people feel inferior to others because they don't have money in their bank. Can we see the problem here? Can we see how damaging this is to the image of God and people that some of us? Can, can feel really great about ourselves because our retirement's in place and our property has risen and, and everything is good financially and we feel good and yet so, some of us don't have that and we feel less than and we feel discouraged and we, and, we, and we walk around kind of moping and not feeling good in comparison. This is an issue. Someone's really going to town in that bathroom, right? Thank you, Jesus. Oh, I missed in-person worship. (laughs) This doesn't happen in the house. Ah. What James, he's trying to kind of put the paddles to our hearts, wake us up, and help us to look to the end. Saying, look at the end of the course that you're on. The course that you're on where you're numb and sensitive to the realities of exploitation, of using others, of wealth becoming your idol, saying wake up and realize that it is going to lead toward judgment. So today, the wake-up call for any of us, if right now in your business dealings, if you're involved in business dealings that are not filled with integrity, the Lord's speaking to you. If right now you recognize, man, I am pursuing wealth and indulgence, and I want money to just continue to comfort my life and pad and insulate my life from, from people, from misery in this world. I want more money so I can separate myself from the brokenness of the world. This is a wake up call, but maybe you're not on the end of the spectrum. Maybe you are on the end of the spectrum where you are dreaming of more wealth. We're saying, man, some more money could solve this problem and that problem. And, and yeah, it may solve this problem that problem, but it could also lead to that vacation and that extra home and this and that. It's subtle. It comes in. And soon, all of a sudden, we wake up and we are obsessing over whether we have enough, whether we can make more, whether our identity is where it should be in relation to money. And this is a faulty way of living that James is trying to just put a complete halt to. Because often wealth and money are elevated as the thing that'll solve our problems. Do you know that money won't solve certain marital, marital problems? It might relieve some stresses, but it won't solve everything. Money won't solve certain relational issues with your kids or extended family. In fact, the great theologian, Puff Daddy said, "More money, more problems. <laughs> the more money we have, it, it creates a lot of issues. I remember I heard an interview where this guy was saying, I know of 20 billionaires and none of them are happy. It, it, it's complex, it's, it's a weight, it's, it, but yet we can find ourselves dreaming and the dreams are associated with money. It's a faulty solution. And James is exposing the emptiness of pursuing wealth for wealth's sake. Nothing wrong with pursuing wealth if it is in pursuit of the glory of God. But even then, there's these caveats put like, don't be deceived. Don't think like it can't happen to you. It's you're almost like it's always like you're handling uranium. It's volatile. Yeah, it can do some good things if tempered the right way, but always be aware of its toxic potential. And specifically here, these verses make us check our complicity in this world with systems that exploit the poor. It does behoove us as Christians to be discerning Our spending practices and where we invest our money and how it comes back to communities or how it doesn't knowing that not every purchase is equal not all the ways that we spend our money are leading to flourishing some of the ways that we spend our money is just consuming for self-indulgence and no one is getting better except the extreme wealthy and nothing wrong with that wealth, but the reality is if you study American history, most of the extreme situations of wealth in this country have come on the means of exploitation, beginning with African slaves. The foundation of America's economy was built on the backs of exploitation. And that has just shifted and changed throughout the centuries. And so as Christians, we cannot be lacking in discernment This is a wake-up call. Some of you right now, you might be in the middle of a business deal that you don't feel that great about and you want to ignore it and you're like, man, that's not great. Don't ignore it. The Holy Spirit may be convicting you right now and if you're not attentive, your heart can become so numb that you don't even hear his voice in the future. James is making us aware of things we shouldn't ignore and why we shouldn't ignore them. This is a wake-up call for us to not idolize wealth or the wealthy because so often wealth is accumulated on the backs of the vulnerable. You know, I grew up very, very uh, poor. We grew up on public assistance. Um, Single mom, my, my sister and I. And I remember there was a humiliating appointment that you had to go to. I don't know if it's the same now. It was called face to face. Now, if you grew up in a Latino household, most of your parents probably said face to face. And so I didn't know what this was, but literally it was a face to face appointment where you were grilled assuming that you were lying about your economic need. It was utterly humiliating. So before you get this check, we will grill you and assume that you're just lazy, you're exploiting, that you're, you're cheating, that maybe you have some job or some business, um, that you're hiding under the table. It was the worst day of the month for my mom. Fast forward, uh, I become a Christian, and at the age of 14, I began to talk to my mom, said, mom, you're, you're so intelligent, um, it, why, don't we, why don't we work hard and get out of this situation? So you started to go to college, why don't you finish your degree? Uh, You can get a job, we'll work together. And she did. And so she went to Hostos Community College in the Bronx. She got her associate's degree and she got into the Board of Education as a paraprofessional. Fast forward a few years later, she was able to buy a house. Buy a house in Staten Island, um, the borough that I have a really love-hate relationship with. Um, I just struggle with Staten Island. Lord, save Staten Island. Um, (laughs) And and so we went from those extremes of scarcity, fear, not knowing if we're going to have enough, to now she's working, buys a home, kind of on the other end of the spectrum. And can I tell you what remained constant in our experience was constantly believing that more money could solve our problems. And it didn't. And it doesn't. You know, I read an article that most young people now make way more money than their parents did when their parents bought homes. And now most of these kids can't buy a home. More money doesn't solve everything. Our world isn't set up that way but it tells us that lie and it keeps us on this wheel pursuing something that isn't going to solve everything. More money is not going to make you more peaceful in your soul. More money isn't going to make you more satisfied. It's going to make you feel more affirmed Let's just be clear. Can more money help you to serve others? Yes. Can more money help you to take care of your family members and, and, your, and your needs and actually bring value in different spaces? Absolutely. It's not money in and of itself that's evil. It's the fact that our hearts often become corrupted in the presence and in the pursuit of it. And in that process, we dehumanize people and we dehumanize ourselves. I remember our former president, Donald Trump, he said, I'm worth millions. And it was so sad to hear that he was pegging his identity with the money that he had. I wish I had him in a room and say, no, sir, you are worth way more than that because a savior died for you. You were bled for on a blood cross. You have value and infinite worth that's beyond any wealth you could ever accumulate. The hope of the gospel in freeing our identity from our possessions is the most liberating thing because then now poor and rich have a sense of affirmation and identity and value and worth that's not pegged to wealth. This is liberating for the rich to hear You have value that's not pegged to your wealth. For the poor to hear, you have value that's not pegged to your wealth. And for both to hear, don't ever lose sight of this tool called money that could be used for great good, but also could be used to enact great harm and damage our souls. You know, at Hope Astoria, I I probably preach about money about once a year. And typically that's around our Extending Hope season. And most pastor friends of mine cringe to talk about money because it's a loaded issue. And because people have all these perceptions of like, oh, the church is talking about money, they're trying to get money. Why I love to talk about money at Extending Hope is because during that season, all the money that we're receiving, we give out the door. And so it's not enriching our church. It's not going to anybody's income. It is to bless the city and beyond. But one of the reasons why I love to talk about money is because Jesus loved to talk about money. Do you know that 15% of his teaching talked about money directly or used money to communicate a principle? So if you're uncomfortable today, like that American pastor story that I shared in the, in, in the beginning, where you're uncomfortable to talk about money because maybe it's an idol, be aware that if you walk with Jesus long enough, he's going to have the money conversation with you. He's going to go there. He's going to talk about how you spend, how you identify with it, uh, how you use it, how it uses you. He's going to go there because in order to be a fully alive disciple of Jesus, this is too big of a space in our lives for Jesus not to address it. He's going to have that conversation. He's going to question, how are you stewarding this? Are you managing this for my glory or are you hoarding it for your pleasure? He's going to go there. And if he doesn't go there, if the Jesus you and I serve never addresses the core most important things in our life, never talks about racist ideas that we may harbor, never talks about selfishness, elitism, never talks about unforgiveness, if the Jesus we serve seems to hold grudges against the same people we have grudges against, that's not truly Jesus. That's a Jesus we've imagined. But the Jesus that we see in the scriptures talks about these things because he knows how gripping they are. And James gives us a powerful but healthy warning. Don't be so attached to riches that they detach you from God and they disconnect you from people. Never pursue riches to a point that you would actually carry out corrupt practices in order to gain even at the expense of others. Don't idolize wealth as if it's the solution to everything because it isn't. Jesus is inviting us as a church to walk this out in the following ways. I want to encourage you in in private conversations to be aware of whenever you might elevate yourself above others on the basis of wealth. Can I tell you, it's not just your income. Sometimes we elevate ourselves on the basis of wealth because we have a wealth of education. Comparatively, we have more education than others and we could say, I'm better or think that I'm better than someone that is not as educated. that's That's an angle of power and wealth that we need to be aware of. Or maybe you live in a community that's safer than somewhere else. That's a level of power and wealth that isn't distributed equally everywhere. Whenever you find yourself elevating yourself over someone else on the basis of wealth, bring that to the Lord. God, my heart's off. But also, we need to be mindful to reject this tendency publicly. Whenever we're making plans and decisions purely on the basis of gain and accumulating wealth and not considering how it impacts others, is what we talked about last week, just because you can do it doesn't mean you should do it. That's something for us to be ready to reject and say that's not the will of God for us. But also, we as a people need to be ready to love and to journey with the many people that will miss this and whose lives will crash as a result of pursuing wealth at all costs. It's easy to demonize the rich when we fail to see that if in their same situation we would likely go on the the same course. But people are broken and money corrupts if we're not careful and we need to be prepared to love the poor and the rich all the same. James has established this. God shows no partiality. It should trouble us when People on either end of the spectrum are talked about without a sense of the dignity of God. Not all business people are corrupt. Not all rich people are exploiters. Not all poor people are, are you know, uh, messing up the system and trying to get advantage. These generalizations, these stereotypes are so dehumanizing. At the end of the day, what both extremes of life experience Have a connective tissue with us that money and the pursuit of wealth can corrupt all of us equally. So worship team comes forward. I want to invite us to stand. As we stand, I want to call us to a, a moment of Prayer to bring our hearts before God, open and say, Lord, speak to me, speak to my heart. Maybe you're here and you've arrived at a place of comfort and you've accumulated some money in whatever expression it is, a a home or a a really great job or whatever the case is and, and And there's a comfort that we can find in that. And maybe God is saying, no, put your comfort in me. Don't let your confidence be in your wealth and your possessions, let it be in me. Maybe this is a moment where the Spirit of God is piercing your heart and saying, your identity is too wrapped up in your money and your possessions and your education and your status. And it's causing you to not see people fully. And it's causing you to see yourself in such a diminished light. The cross says you are so much more than what you do and what's been done to you. You are loved infinitely, apart from anything you could own or possess. The poor are equally loved by God as the rich. What a God we serve. Jesus, with our hands raised and our hearts open to you, would you free us now? Free us from the idolization of money and wealth. Deliver us. Help us to resist exploitation in all its forms. Jesus, meet us now. Let's worship, let's cry out to God together.